Well, good morning, everybody. Are you awake this morning? You all partied out from the long weekend? I hope you didn't spend any time on the beach. Because the beach just reminds me of snow. I can't. I can't do it. It's good to be back. I want to publicly thank Pastor Holland um, and, and both Keith Loria for preaching last week. Uh, they did an excellent job. Um, Pastor Holland from the book of Malachi. If you have not heard that message, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go back online, YouTube, our website, whatever, find it, and listen to that message. Excellent message on exactly the way that most of us live our lives just going through the motions. I challenge you to do that. And then Keith did a great job too um, with when someone disappoints us. Paul lived a life of great disappointment in a lot of ways, especially in the Corinthian church. And uh, if you don't make a habit of sticking around for the Sunday afternoon service, let me also encourage you to do that. Stick around for the Sunday afternoon service. Um, it's, it's, it's not me preaching. It's always someone else. And the Lord's using these guys to teach some great truth. So I want to encourage you with those things. So thank you guys for doing that. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, Let's go to the book of Acts, please. The book of Acts. We're going to continue in the book of Acts. Where we left off a couple weeks ago, we're in the uh, book of Acts chapter 9, and we saw a great deal happening with the apostle Saul, and his name eventually gets changed to Paul. We'll go through that here in the next several weeks. But um, basically, I want you to see the fact that in verse 32, it's kind of transitioning a little bit. The Bible says in verse 32, and it came to pass as Peter passed through all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Okay, so here's what uh, uh, Peter's doing. He's basically walking around the countryside, visiting each place where the, uh, the people have dispersed to. And here we find him in Lydda, okay? And many things happen. He finds this man by the name of Aeneas, um, had kept his bed of eight years, sick of the palsy. He helps him, he, uh, verse 34, and he rose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Okay, so wonderful things happening. Now again, there was a disciple at, at uh, Joppa, not far from Lydda. And this lady's name was Tabitha or Dorcas, And she was full of good works, all these things, and she actually passes away, and Peter walks in and heals her. And so there's some absolutely amazing things happening in the book of Acts. Now, can I ask you this question just to start? Do you ever just stand in awe of what God is doing? Do you ever just stand in awe of what God is doing. When I read these verses, and I'm not even preaching on these verses today, but when I read these verses, I just can't help but go, wow, God was doing some amazing things. If you will look for it, you will see God in everything that you do. If you will look for it. I was reminded this week that there's no such thing as coincidence. No such thing as coincidence. In fact, the person who was telling me said he believes that that's a cuss word coincidence because it takes the power out of God's hands everything listen to me everything is God working in your life everything God wants to work in your life and in the lives of the people around you and he's working in ways we can never ask or think even here in the book of Acts God is working in incredible ways and the thing I love about it is he just uses everyday ordinary people like you and I 
Peter is no special person. We'll see that in our passage today. He says, hey, I'm just a man. He's not a special person. He's just a man, just like us. Amazing things are happening, and it's powerful to watch. But the dam of Satan is getting ready to burst. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The church is getting ready to pull people out of the fire of hell and out of the grasp of Satan. And it's going to bust wide open. By the way, let me stop right here. Let me tell you that this, what I just described, is still possible today. Incredible things can still happen today. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We can still pull people out of the fires of hell and relinquish them from the grasp of Satan. It can still happen today. Sometimes, however, we don't believe this. We don't believe this will actually happen. Because in our minds, what happens is we get just a little bit fleshly. If you will, we get a little bit cynical. The story we are going to look at today, starting in Acts chapter 10, is a story that's so important that Luke, the author of Acts, or the writer of Acts, he sees fit to repeat it two full times. The whole story. And not only that, Peter comes back later on and makes reference to it another time. So I want to be clear, this story is not just some random story, just how the Lord's working. This is a defining moment in the book of Acts. And if you'll allow it, it can be a defining moment in your life as well. It can be a defining moment in the life of Bible Baptist Church, if we'll allow it. Bible Baptist Church has been around for 46 years, coming up on our 47th anniversary. In that time, Bible Baptist Church has had a ton, a ton of contact with the people in St. Thomas. When a church like ours has been around for this long, there are certain things that become, shall I say, second nature. There are certain things that we as a church, we just do or we just think a certain way. Maybe you've lived in this town for a long time. And you've seen the good and the bad. Here's what happens. If we're not careful, we will allow our observations to distort our decisions. We'll allow our observations of what has gone on year after year after year after year to distort how we move forward. Just like they do in our story today. Acts chapter 10. Let's read in verse 1. The Bible says this. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now, this is, we're not going to get deep into this, but basically he's in charge of a hundred soldiers, and they're from Rome, the Italian, and the, their band was called the Italian band, okay? Just information, verse 2. He was a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee, 
what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and devout soldiers of them and waited on him con- that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all you do for us. Father, what a privilege it is to be here in this place today. I pray that you would help us as we look at your word. Help us to draw an application. Help us to have our lives defined differently today than when we walked into this place. Father, I pray you'll have your will and way done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read these first eight verses for a very specific purpose, just for information. I want to set the stage for what is going on here in the book of Acts chapter 10. A man by the name of Cornelius who lives in Caesarea. He is living here and he is doing all he can to please God. He gives alms and he prays to God always. Then an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go. These things that you've done have not gone unnoticed. I want you to go and I want you to find Peter. He's going to tell you what to do. So let's log this as information and let's continue on. Verse 9. Here's the crux of the story. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. Now, I'm resonating with this already. Okay, I, I had a banana for breakfast this morning. I should have had more because I'm hungry already. Hopefully, you're hungry as well because look at what hunger does to this man. And he would have eaten, but while they made ready, so he's waiting for everybody to get the meal ready, he fell into a trance. Look what the Bible says, verse 11. And saw heaven opened. And a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Verse 13. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. Three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, let's again try to give a little bit of context here for some who may not know. God's commandments to the Jewish people in the Old Testament under the law was that they were not to eat of any animal that was considered unclean. Okay, so a pig is considered unclean. So that means for the Jewish people, no bacon, okay? Which would, I would really, really struggle with. No ham, none of that. You can't have that. That's unclean. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. We won't get into those. There were obviously a long list of unclean animals and a long list of clean animals that they could have. Peter is a devout Jew. He is a good Jewish boy, if you will. And for his entire life, according to what he says here, he has obeyed the dietary restrictions that God had put in place almost 2,000 years prior. So he had put these, done these things and spent all of this time. But here, that's not really what I want to focus on this morning. What I want to focus on is Peter's brash, in character, by the way, answer. He says... In verse 14, again, not so, Lord. Basically, uh, not going to happen, God. Hasn't he said that once before? 
This is Peter's in character. I mean, back in the day when he was walking with Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me thrice. He says, no, I'm not. I'm going to die. No, you're not. Constantly fighting God and Jesus. As this story progresses, we need to realize that the intention here was that God was beginning to open the door of the gospel to spread to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. So right now, we focus mostly on the Jews and their relationship with God. No longer was God just going to work simply with his chosen people, Israel. He has now chosen the whole world. Everyone can come. All are welcome. All of mankind now had the opportunity to become a child of God. All the world could know. So if you will, this was a defining moment in history. This is a defining moment and God was going to use Peter as, quote, the apostle to the Jews. He was going to use him to take place in this event. Now don't miss this. In order for Peter to take place and partake in this defining moment, he had to overcome something that defined him. Don't miss this. This is the whole crux of the whole thing. In order for Peter to partake in this defining moment, he had to confront something that was defining him. Again, verse 14. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. This defines me. I cannot take the next step forward because of this defining moment of my life that I have never eaten. Peter had to overcome, here it is, ready? Prejudice. Peter had to overcome prejudice. Prejudice, if you don't know what prejudice is, I'm going to define it for you from Webster's Dictionary. Prejudice means this. Pre-judgment. Pre-judgment. Don't miss this. In fact, write it down. Because we're going to talk about this the rest of the day, okay? Pre-judgment. Prejudice means pre-judgment. Do you have it now? What does prejudice mean? You guys are going to have to participate this morning, okay? Prejudice means what? Pre-judgment. Don't believe me? Look it up in Webster's Dictionary, okay? I want to do something different that I don't normally do here, okay? Will you participate with me today? Oh, you're all nervous now, aren't you? Okay? I want everybody to raise their hand. Okay? Everybody raise your hand. Okay? Everybody's good? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay? Doesn't matter which one, I don't care. Raise your hand. Now please repeat after me. Ready? I have prejudice. Say it again. I have prejudice. Some of you are like, I'm not sure I should be saying this. What are you trying to get me to say? You're manipulating me. No, listen. Every single one of us has prejudice. You can put your hands down. You say, no, I don't. Let's walk through this. What do we think of when we say the word prejudice? Typically what we think of is we think of being prejudiced toward someone's race. Toward someone's skin color. Toward someone's sex. Toward someone's economic status. 
that's typically what we think of when we think of the word prejudice. And that is true. While those things are the main things that we have heard about in our culture today, I want you to get this. Prejudice runs far deeper than this. Prejudice runs far deeper than prejudging someone about their race or prejudging someone about their sex. It runs far deeper than that. Prejudice, as we've already defined it, is simply prejudgment. You are prejudging, meaning before you have any of the facts, you're prejudging. Before you know what this person's real life is all about, you judge them. How would you like it if a judge did that to you? You walk into a courtroom and he looks at you and says, you're guilty. You didn't even hear the facts. I don't care. You're guilty. I can, I can just tell. We would hate that. That's, that's not good judgment. That's pre-judging. And so we do this all the time. We pre-judge people. I wrote a paper. You're going to hate me for this. I wrote a paper in high school of why women are worse drivers than men. No, I'm pretty sure I shredded that. You can't find that. And it was very fictitious, but it was all based on this. Prejudice. I had made an assumption about every woman based on probably one or two people that my dad had said something about. But that's where our prejudice comes from, doesn't it? Our prejudice often comes from something that our parents have said. Or how we grew up, or maybe something that our grandparents told us a story about years and years and years ago. Peter had already had a pre-judgment. Jump all the way down to verse 28, if you would, with me. The Bible says this, and he said unto them, ye know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation." So he says, listen, in Jewish law, it is unlawful for me to even be in the house of a Gentile. In fact, we'll find out a little bit later that when he tells the Jews back in Jerusalem what happened, they were like, what? You went to a Gentile's house? They're freaking out about it. The Jews were so prejudiced that they wouldn't even Go into the home of a Gentile. Now again, I made you raise your hand and say, I have prejudice, to which some of you did not participate because you don't believe that. But hear me again, every single one of us is guilty of making pre-judgments. Every single one of us. Pre-judgments happen all the time. You might say, well, I would never discriminate someone on the base of their nationality. Well, that may be true, and I'm glad for that. But we are guilty of making prejudgments about so many different things. Again, prejudgments happen based on our past experience. Prejudgments happen because of our past hurt. Stories, again, that have been told to us by our parents and grandparents. Something that happened to our parents before we were even born, we have a prejudgment about. And again, while being prejudiced about someone's physical appearance is wrong, That's not so much what I'm worried about today. 
I'm more worried about our internal, our own personal internal prejudice. Today maybe you sit here and a pastor has hurt you. And you inside have made a decision that you are never going to let that happen again. You're never going to trust a pastor again. Maybe you told someone about Jesus and it didn't really go that well. So you've made a determination in your mind that I'm not going through that again. Maybe someone has gossiped about you. And now you're frozen in fear, wondering who else is gossiping. You can't trust anyone else because you're just thinking, they're probably gossiping about me. So you've decided you're never going to open up to anyone about anything anymore. And the list truly could go on and on and on. But you know what those are? Those are prejudgments. Those are prejudice. We can, do it, we can do it from a positive experience as well. How about this? I had a really, really good experience, and all other experiences never equal up to it. It sounds a little bit like this in our society. Ah, the good old days. That's what it sounds like. I have an experience that your experience will never equal up to, and so any other experience is subpar. You know what that is? That's prejudice. Or, here's another way we say it, we never did it that way. We never did it that way. We always did it this way. Listen, that's okay, but that's a prejudice. Some of us, in response to that, well, your way sucks. I don't like your way. I got hurt doing it your way, and so I'm never doing it that way again. Do you see what I'm saying? We all have prejudgments. We all make them. Now, let me be clear. Our past experience can help us learn. Our past experience can help us to avoid a great deal of hurt in the future. However, I'm not talking about those things. Today what I want to talk about specifically is about prejudgments that go against what God wants us to do. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Prejudice will stop you from fulfilling God's will. Mark it down, write it down, take it to the bank. Prejudice will stop you from fulfilling God's will. Why? Why does it stop us from fulfilling God's will? Here's why. Because we are holding on to our own belief instead of trusting in what God wants. We're holding on to our own belief instead of trusting in what God wants. Again, look at verse 14. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Why? Because I'm trusting in something that I have never done. He says this, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm the right one here. I have never done this. And so we hold on to something so tightly that what happens is we miss out on what God is trying to do. I hesitate to give an example here because there's so many. It goes outside of nationality. It goes outside of a, someone's physical appearance. There's so many examples, but what we do is we hold on to that and we just say, I will not. 
Take this next step. I want you to do this. I will not. Exactly what Peter says. Not so, Lord. Let me ask you something this morning. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that you will not take that next step? I'm not talking about doctrine. Don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about the things that we are holding on to that are against what God is trying to do. Verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. I'm doing something here, Peter. I've cleansed it. It's done. It's over. The law was our schoolmaster. But now that Jesus has come, that schoolmaster is done away with. When we try to hold on to something that's against what God wants us to do, here's what we do. We often do so under the guise of holiness. Well, I'm not going to listen to that type of music. I'm not going to do that because I'm more holy. We uh, excuse ourselves away. Look Again, Peter's follow-up statement is so key. He says, not so, Lord, Why? Verse 14 again. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm holy, God. Look at what I've done all these years. I've, I've just stayed with it. This cracks me up. But we are so much like this, it's not even funny. This same Peter who literally denied the Son of God has the audacity to say, Not so, Lord. Because I'm so holy. This same Peter, who seeing Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration says, let's build three tabernacles. One for each of you. This same Peter, who has the audacity to speak out against God. This same Peter is full of pride, saying, I am holy in one single tiny little area, maybe, but yet flawed in so many others. But aren't we the same way? You know, we all have our areas of what I like to call pride expertise. Pride expertise. Again, we would say things like, I would never listen to that kind of music. I would never dress that way. I would never get my hair cut that way. I would never put that on my body. And we just have all of our areas of expertise. I would never talk that way. And we are perfectly comfortable with excusing our pride away in all the other areas. Well, I just really struggle with this. But I would never do that. You know, it's prejudice. It's a pre-judgment. And most of us think that anybody who, quote, listens to that kind of music, oh, they're ungodly. You know what all it is? It's just boosting our own pride. It's saying, it's excusing our pre-judgment away. Not only is this a pride problem, you know what it is? It's a faith problem. Not only is it a pride problem, it's a faith problem. Look at verse 17 with me. The Bible says this. Now while Peter doubted 
in himself that this vision which he had seen should mean. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. I want you to notice that Peter was doubting. We normally think of doubting Thomas, but we see here doubting Peter. Doubting Peter. Consistent with Peter's character, again, he trusted himself more than he trusted God. He pulls out the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus has to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And so here we have a consistent character all the way through, but he continues to trust in himself. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Pride and unbelief are the basis of our prejudice. Pride, I'm something more, God cannot, is the basis of our pre-judgment. Let me ask you this question. How are we going to overcome? If you believe what you said just a few minutes ago, I have prejudice, I make pre-judgments, how are we going to overcome? How are we going to do something different about this? I realize that my pride is getting in the way of me moving forward. I realize that I just don't trust God like I should. What do I do? What do I do? Again, you're in the habit of writing things down. Trust in the orchestration of God. Trust in the orchestration of God. This all starts in verse 3 of chapter 10. He's working, he's doing all he can in verse 2. He was devout. Verse 3, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth there, and so on and so forth. Listen, this started far before Peter ever had his dream. Continues in verse 17. Again, now why Peter doubted in himself that what this vision which he had seen should mean. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate. He's not even done the dream yet and they're outside waiting for him. God is orchestrating something incredible here. Verse 19. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Write this down. Weird things are going to happen. Mark it down. Weird things are going to happen. But here's the deal. We have no idea how God is working in someone else's life. We have no idea. Maybe you know you still have contact with someone that has hurt you in the past. Maybe loose contact. And every time, it's been 20 years, every time you see them, there's a prejudgment. There's a prejudice, there's a holding on to that hurt. And trust me when I say I understand. But here, let me encourage you with this. You have no idea how God is working in their life. None. That person you got in an accident, the fender bender with, man, we fling open our door, we walk out, what are you doing? Hang on a second. You have no idea how God is working in their life. 
man, that waitress is just struggling today. She just can't get anything right. Before you get angry, hold on. You have no idea how God is working in their life. This guy, random guy, walks up to you and says something. That, listen, you have no idea how God is working in your life. No coincidences, remember? Everything is planned by God. Listen, are we going to remove our prejudice and say, listen, weird things are going to happen. I'm just going to simply trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to live happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God had been working for some time in the life of Cornelius. Then all of a sudden, an angel appears to him, tells him to look for Peter and Joppa. Peter has a vision, and there just happens to be three men at the door waiting for him. God is working. God is working here as well in St. Thomas 2023. God is working. You didn't get paired up with that person at school for no reason. You didn't meet that gas station attendant for no reason. You didn't move into the house you moved into for no reason. But far too often our prejudgments stop us from getting involved in the work. In the defining moment, not in our lives, but maybe in someone else's lives. Let me ask you this question. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to get over our prejudgments? What's it going to take for us to get over our prejudice? Verse 20, Acts chapter 10, I'm going to put it on the screen. Rise therefore and get thee down and go with them, watch this, doubting nothing. Don't miss it. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. God tells us, or tells Peter, don't doubt. Remember before, he was sitting there doubting. Oh, man, what is this? Oh, this can't be from God. Oh, man, what? I've never done it. And he's just sitting there doubting and doubting and doubting. And don't we do the same thing? We doubt and we doubt and we doubt. And are we sure in this? Should we do this? And should we? Listen, don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't, if you will, waver. God says, just trust me. I have sent them. I have it all taken care of. I've been working behind the scenes for far longer than you can imagine. The solution to our prejudice is, again, simply to trust and obey. Let God handle it. Do we have hurts? Yes, all of us do. Do we have areas of our life that we have struggles, that we have prejudgments? Yes. We must let God handle those things. We must let God handle those things and trust him as he instructs us to tell everyone we can about Jesus Christ. Trust him with your fear of stepping forward again. Trust him, nothing doubting. I love this verse, James 1, 6. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. It's the same word. Never doubt, nothing doubting, doubt nothing as wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You ever feel like you're just floating around this life, bouncing from one hurt one prejudgment 
to another? Never really truly accomplishing something? Feeling like you just never land anywhere? You're not solid? Perhaps it's because we've built our life on the prejudgments of our minds. And to pull from the Gospels, we've built our lives on sand. When the waves come, guess what? Our house falls. When somebody does gossip about us, what happens? Our house falls. We're broken, shattered. But if we would build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and when he says, go, we go, and when he says, I've got something new for you, we say, oh, I'm scared to death, but here we go. God, I'm not sure if I can handle that. Well, I'll handle it for you. Just take the step. When we build our house on the foundation of Jesus Christ, every wind, every wave's going to come, but we will be solid on him. Don't be tossed around in your life fearing, wondering, acting based on your prejudgments. Again, I'll say it. Trust and obey. Let's finish this story by looking at what Peter does. We've read verse 20 several times, verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. And called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. The morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. We can continue on. He asks what happened. Tell me why I'm here. Jump down to verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Finally, Peter gets it. This isn't about me. This isn't about Jews. This is about every single person in the world. Verse 35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Jump all the way down to verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days not only did Cornelius get saved, but all those that were in his house that day that he had invited over got saved, and the door of the gospel of Jesus Christ was open to the Gentiles. I'm assuming that most of you that sit here today are Gentiles. Because of this moment right here, everybody knows that Jesus came for all. Mankind. There will always be opportunities to overcome our prejudice. I bet you, 
you walk out of this building today, you'll have an opportunity. There are people that walk this street all the time. You know what we do? We walk out that door, we see them, and we never say anything to them. Oh, there's probably a thousand reasons why. The question is, will you overcome? Will you overcome your prejudice? To continue with our series, you were made for more than prejudice. You were made to do amazing things through the Holy Spirit of God. The question is, will you do them? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. So much for the time you've given us here today. Father, I pray that this was as clear as you made it to me. Father, there are so many, so many, so many areas of my life where I have prejudgments. Father, I stand here today Someone who's not preaching at people, but I'm preaching to myself. Father, this was for me. I needed this week, needed this, this week more than I've needed it before. And so, Father, thank you. But for each person here, again, who's struggling, Father, I have no doubt that they're hurt. I have no doubt that there's pain. Father, that hurt, that pain, if not taken care of, not given to you, not cast upon you, will halt them from taking their next step in Jesus Christ. Father, there may be somebody here today that doesn't even know you yet, and there's some thought, some prejudgment, something holding them back from accepting you as personal Savior. I pray that today would be the day they would say, Enough. I'm going to trust. I don't have all the answers. I don't know 100% for sure how it all works. I don't have every detail. But at some point, I'm just going to have to trust. Father, I pray that your will will be accomplished today here in this place. Father, I pray you'd move as only you can. Father, we'll pray all these things in Jesus' name.